Um, Genesis chapter 20. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he journeyed in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream, in a dream by night, and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. And so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called his servants and, and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness that you must do to me at every place to which we come. Say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and camels and oxen and male servants and female servants gave them to Abraham and returned, to Sarah, returned Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you and before everyone that you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed his wife and his female slaves so that, and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and his female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Let's pray again together. Heavenly Father, as we see this passage of Scripture, Lord, we see the patriarch Abraham, the, in many respects, the, the epitome of faith, stumbling, sinning, exemplifying not faithfulness, but faithlessness. 
we see Abraham committing a sin that, that he had, had committed long ago. And Lord, with that, we are reminded that we far too easily fall into patterns of sin, that we far too easily repeat sins that, that have, we would have thought, been overcome long ago. Lord, we pray that you would help us, help each one of us, Lord, in the midst of our sin, to look to your faithfulness. Lord, would you help us to see that this is written here for our benefit, that we might see that, that you are always the faithful, gracious, merciful, and loving God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been surprised by your sin? Surprised that you are capable of sinning in ways, grievous sins, that you thought that you had left behind long ago? Well, in the unfolding drama of Genesis, as we arrive in chapter 20, Sodom and Gomorrah have been destroyed. Lot's part in the story is now done. And we come back to focus on Abraham. And as time ticks towards the promised arrival of Abraham's promised son, a son that was first promised to Abraham eight chapters and 25 years ago, another crisis threatens the Lord's promise. But this time it's not a threat of famine or of a foreign army or land claims. Once again, it is the sin of Abraham that puts the promise in jeopardy. Once again, Abraham lies saying that Sarah is his sister. Once again, Abraham sacrifices his wife's virtue to save his own skin. Once again, Abraham puts the covenant promise in jeopardy. Once again, Sarah is taken into the harem of a pagan king. And if Sarah gets pregnant now by another man, all will be lost. Once again, Abraham has proved himself unfaithful to his wife and unfaithful to the Lord. And once again, unless the Lord intervenes, all will be lost. Back in Genesis 12, as Abraham and Sarah entered Egypt, Abraham, aware of his wife's beauty, was afraid that the Egyptians would kill him in order to get his wife. So he lied, telling the Egyptians that Sarah was his sister and allowing her to be taken into Pharaoh's harem in order to protect himself. It was only the intervention of the Lord who struck the household of Pharaoh with great plagues that caused Sarah to be restored to Abraham. So again, we are now eight chapters and 25 years later, and we see Abraham doing the same thing again. 
The incidents in chapter 12 and, and chapter 20 are so similar, as is the one in chapter 6 concerning Abraham's son Isaac, that critical scholars conclude that these are merely repetitions of the same story. Ultimately, they draw their conclusion on the grounds that people don't repeat such offenses. Really? These critical scholars must not have a very good understanding of sinful human nature, let alone of their own sinful human nature. Though Abraham was called by God, he was still influenced by his sinful human nature, by his flesh. And though Genesis 15:6 was true that Abraham really did believe God and it was really counted to him as righteousness, in chapter 20, it doesn't look like it. Abraham's actions here come from a lack of faith, just like they did in Genesis 12. And just like they did with, with Hagar in Genesis 16. So this passage, as we'll see, has, has major and, and minor themes that, that are repeated throughout this, this, this toledote of Terah, the, the, the narrative that describes the life of Abraham. And especially we'll see themes that are repeated in the previous chapter, in chapter 19, and, and again in, in chapter 21. But the primary theme that we're going to see here is the Lord's preservation of his people in spite of foreign threats, and familiar sins. This chapter is divided into four scenes. In verses 1 and 2, Abraham and Sarah lie to Abimelech. In verses 3 to 7, the Lord confronts Abimelech. In verses 8 to 13, Abimelech confronts Abraham. And in verses 14 to 18, Abraham and Abimelech bless each other. So first, in verses 1 and 2, Abraham and Sarah lie to Abimelech. In verse 1, we see Abraham hitting the road. He has left the oaks of Mamre near Hebron and has journeyed south toward the Negev region of Israel, the southern part of Israel. And he stops between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gerar near Gaza. This is the ter territory of the Philistines that extends to the Mediterranean coast. Abraham is migrating again, as he did in Genesis 12, but this time he stays within the promised land. And we don't know why Abraham moves, but he is depicted here as a sojourner, as a foreigner in the land, as are we. Well, now we see Abraham doing again what he had done in chapter 12, lying to protect himself. Verse 2. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. Then we see Abraham put in jeopardy in the same way that she was put in jeopardy in chapter 12. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Now the name Abimelech it means, I'm the king is my father. It's probably a, a royal title like Pharaoh. We're going to see that name again in Genesis 26 when Isaac follows the lying lead of his father. Ironically, David lies to another Abimelech, pretending that, that he is crazy in order, in order to protect himself. So here in Genesis 20, Sarah, Sarah is now 65 years old. 
And although she described herself as worn out in, in Genesis 18, and we aren't given any specific description of her beauty as we are in, in chapter 12, back when she was 65, it's likely that she was still a beautiful woman. Beautiful enough to attract the attention of Abimelech and beautiful enough for him to take her into his harem. And once again, as in Genesis 19, we see a sojourner facing perceived danger at the hands of Gentiles as the angels were threatened by the Sodomites in, in that chapter. Once again, as in Genesis 19, we have a vulnerable woman put in jeopardy through the actions of, of one who is supposed to protect her. Last time it was Lot failing to protect his daughters, and this time it is Abraham failing to protect his wife. These, these comparisons are, are there on purpose. And in so doing, not only is Abraham putting his wife in jeopardy, but he's also putting the covenant promise in jeopardy. Think about it. It's, it's been made explicit that, that the promised son is going to come through Sarah. And now Abraham allows her to be taken away. If Abraham, if Abraham had stopped to consider what God could do, he would not have gone down this road. And I've seen it happen so often. People forget that, that God is sovereign, loving, and wise, and they take matters into their own hands, and they make a royal mess. Their attempts at, at self-protection, self-gratification, or self-righteousness, or, or self-anything create far more problems than they could ever solve. But there, as here, God intervenes. God may allow things to progress pretty far, and he may let the problem get a whole lot worse before he steps in. But God always intervenes in the lives of those who, like Abraham, love God and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28 You think about some of the, the situations that you face and some of the times that, that you are tempted to take matters into your own hands. Times that, that, that you're facing severe difficulties. And you want to try to solve it yourself and, and to ignore the Lord. Well, maybe you haven't seen his hand yet. But like Spurgeon said, God is too good to be unkind and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when you cannot trace his hand, you must trust his heart. Don't judge the story by the middle. It's not over yet. It would be a natural response upon, upon reading this, this narrative to, to, to even wonder if God is finished with Abraham. If Abraham is about to be cut out of the story. Like Lot. But again, don't judge the story by the middle. There's more to come on Abraham. Next, in verses 3 to 7, we, we see God confronting Abimelech. Verse 3, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. So once again, we see the Lord acting to protect the line of Abraham, this time before anything happens to Sarah. God is giving Abimelech a dire warning. The punishment of adultery is death. Death for both the man and the woman. Deuteronomy 22, 22. 
But Abimelech does not need to be convinced of how serious adultery is. Later in the chapter, he's, he's going to describe adultery as a great sin. The scriptures call adultery a great sin against God. Psalm 51, 4. All sin is wicked, but some sins, like adultery, are more wicked than others. And even for the pagan Philistines, as in virtually every culture to this day, adultery is considered a great sin. This is evidence of, of the, the fact that the work of the law, you shall not commit adultery, was written on the hearts even of Gentiles, Romans 2.15, even before it was written on tablets of stone in Exodus 20. But Abimelech hasn't committed adultery. We might doubt his testimony, but the testimony of Scripture exonerates him. Verse 4, now Abimelech had not approached her. Now, the word approach is used to describe sexual, sexual relations in, in Hebrew law. Abraham enters his plea. He pleads innocence. He says, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? He's also making an appeal here. He's making an appeal to God's righteousness. This is another parallel to the Sodom incident where Abraham's intercession was also based on the righteousness of God in, in chapter 18, verses 23 to 32. Abraham says in verse 25, to the Lord, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. This is essentially the same thing as this pagan king Abimelech is saying to the Lord. Like Abraham, Abimelech appeals to the Lord's righteousness, that the righteous God would not destroy the innocent. But then Abimelech not only pleads his innocence, but he indicts Abraham here. He says that Abraham has acted unrighteously. He lied, and so is Sarah. Verse 5, Abimelech says, Did he not himself say to me, She is my sister? And she herself said, He is my brother. And Abimelech here is, is pleading innocence by ignorance. He says, in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I've done this. He explains that he has, he has acted without malice, with a, with a clear conscience and, and clean hands. And amazingly, in verse 6, the Lord doesn't contradict Abimelech's claim. He, in fact, he confirms it. Now, of course, when, when the Lord says that I know you're innocent. He, he's, he's speaking in the narrow sense of the word. He, he's saying to Abimelech that, that, that you are, are I'm a, he's affirming Abimelech's plea of innocence of, of actual adultery with Sarah. So he says to Abimelech, again in a dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. Psalm 24, 3 asks the question, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Verse 4 provides the answer. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Well, isn't it ironic that, that here, this, this pagan king, Abimelech, characterizes the former, and Abraham, the patriarch, characterizes the latter. In this incident, Abimelech seems more righteous than Abraham. 
Now, I hate to say this, and I, and I wish it wasn't true, but sometimes the righteous act wickedly and the wicked act righteously. May it never be true of us that we behave more wickedly than the unbelievers around us. May the Lord help us. But you can see all through the scriptures, you see, you see so many of, of the, the, the men and women of God who are, are held up as examples of, of faith and obedience acting in, 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 a, in a lack of faith and disobedience. Moses, the, 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 friend, the, 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 man, the most humble man on the planet, the scriptures tell us, committing murder and acting out of anger. David, the, the man after God's own heart, committing, committing adultery and murder. The reality is that the, the people of God sometimes look like the people of the world. If you were to follow any, any one of us around closely for long enough, you, you, would, see, you would see each other sinning in, in grievous ways. We need to realize that this is all of us, that we are all capable of sinning horrifically. Remember the Lord's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, we're witnessing here the first half of that promise. Abimelech is certainly being cursed. But Abraham isn't being much of a blessing. But again, don't judge the story by the middle. Why didn't Abimelech go near Sarah? Because the Lord helped him. Look at the second half of verse 6. The Lord says, it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. There is no sense at all here that Abimelech was a believer, that he had stayed away from Sarah for moral reasons. This, is, this, this section here, verse 6, is, is really the, the central verse of the whole passage. This is what this passage is ultimately about. The Lord had providentially protected Sarah and kept Abimelech from committing adultery. The Lord acted to preserve his people and his promise by also preserving the integrity of Abimelech, a pagan king. The Lord restrained Abimelech. Abimelech is effectively rendered impotent by the omnipotent God. He didn't even touch Sarah. But again, think about it. What if, what, what if Abimelech had committed adultery with Sarah? Well, when Isaac is born in the, in the next chapter, we'd be wondering who the father really is. But chapter 20 is making it very, very clear. It was not possible for Abimelech to be the father of Isaac. The Lord is preserving the paternity of Abraham. And notice here that it's that the Lord doesn't say, I kept you from committing sin against Sarah, or I kept you from committing sin against Abraham, but I kept you from sinning against me. Yes, 
Adultery is committed against another person, but it, as all sin, is committed ultimately against the Lord. Whatever sin you engage in is committed ultimately against the Lord. But here we see in, in this passage the, the restraining power of the Lord. The reason why everyone on the planet does not live as wickedly as they possibly could. The reason why everyone on this planet is, is not a, a serial killer is because of the restraining hand of God. The reason why you haven't behaved as wickedly as you could is because of the Lord's restraining hand. Now, you know my testimony. You know that the Lord saved me from a life of, of immorality and drug addiction. You also know my, my wife's testimony that the Lord saved her at the age of six. And so, so with that, she says that the Lord saved her from a life of drug addiction and immorality. And he did so by saving her when she was a little girl. Friends, the Lord is, is keeping us. The Lord is keeping everyone on the planet in his common grace from behaving as wickedly as they possibly could. But for those of us who are Christians, for those of us who, who, who are walking in repentance and faith, for, for those, those who are, 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 are truly born again, those who have the Holy Spirit in their hearts, we see the restraining hand of God in another way. In a, in a more powerful and, and intimate way. We, we know the power of the Lord. We have the same power at work in us, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So yes, we will struggle with sin. We'll continue to struggle with sin until the day we die. But by the grace of God, in the life of a true believer, we will experience growth We'll experience sanctification. We will walk in ever-increasing obedience and faith to the Lord. Even though the Lord had kept Abimelech from committing adultery, Abimelech has committed another offense. He has, in effect, kidnapped Sarah. He is guilty of the sin that the Scriptures call man-stealing, a sin that stains our own history. The sin also required the death penalty in Exodus 21.16. Though ignorance of the law is, is not an offense in the eyes of God, Abimelech here can no longer claim ignorance. The Lord is very clear. Return Sarah to Abraham or else. And if he doesn't return Sarah, he is going to die and his people are going to die. It's not just Abimelech himself who is in grave danger. The, the, the sin of, uh, if, if he, he persists in this, he, his sin is going to cause the deaths of many people. Never think that your sin affects you alone. Your sin always affects those around you. The people of, of Gerar will be th were threatened with extinction if he does not give Sarah back. 
Notice also that here in this passage, the, the Lord is revealing Abraham's identity to Abimelech. He calls, the Lord calls Abraham a prophet. This is the first word of the use prophet in the scriptures. Now, we don't normally think of, of Abraham in these terms, but when you think about what a prophet does, Abraham was certainly a prophet. Now, the term and the office are going to be invested with, with more meaning in, in the Mosaic legislation, but, but think about the, the Lord's relationship with, with Abraham. We saw this very clearly in, in chapter 18. The Lord reveals his will to Abraham so that he can intercede. That's one of the chief things that, that a prophet does. And, and so, so the Lord is, is, is revealing to Abraham his, his will and his desire so that, that Abraham will intercede here for Abimelech. Now, brothers and sisters, you aren't prophets in the capital P sense. But the Lord has revealed his plans to you, hasn't he? The Lord has revealed his plans to you in his word because he wants you to intercede. Because he wants you to pray. We can pray for those around us. We can pray for, for the, the believers, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, that, that they will be protected from sin. We can pray for unbelievers, that they will come to saving faith. We, we can pray, we're, we're commanded to intercede for, for, for our, our government, for our prime minister. And all the layers of, of government down. We might be able to worship God in peace. We know the plans of the Lord revealed to us in his word so that we can pray for those around us. But th with this, we, we begin to have a glimmer of hope for Abraham, don't we? A Abraham hasn't been, been behaving very righteously. But here we see a glimmer of hope for him, that, that the Lord is not finished with him yet. Now, the Lord did not rebuke Abimelech, but Abimelech is about to rebuke Abraham. Verses 8 to 13, Abimelech confronts Abraham. Verse 8, so, Abraham, or sorry, so Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all the servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Abimelech is being presented here as acting immediately, obediently. He goes and warns his servants. I, I think the, the NIV is right here when it speaks of this is, is his officials. He, he, he's sounding the warning. He's passing it along. He's saying, we need to turn from this course of action. Now, Abimelech has been duped by Abraham. And maybe as a king, he'd be, he'd be tempted to, to hide it. But he doesn't. He, he's open about it. And his openness is, is contrasted with Abraham's dishonesty. And how do the people respond to this warning? They were very much afraid. I wonder if they, they had heard, they very likely heard of what happened to, to Sodom and Gomorrah and, and were terrified of what God would do to them. And they were afraid, and so they, they changed their course of action. And in verse 9, Abimelech now calls for Abraham and says to him, What have you done to us? What have you done to us? Th this was the same question that was put to Abraham by Pharaoh back in chapter 12 and will be put to Isaac by another Abimelech in chapter 26 when, when Isaac commits the same sin. Th this is a rhetorical question. Abraham, or Abimelech rather, knows full well what Abraham has done. Abimelech continues, but now 
But and how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom such a great sin? You've done to me things that ought not to be done. Again, Abimelech is highlighting his innocence over and against Abraham's guilt. Had Abraham not been under the protection of the Lord and been revealed to Abimelech as a prophet, as a solution to his problems, Abraham himself would have been a very grave danger for such a crime against this king. Now in verse 10, what did you see that you did this thing? And Abraham answers, but with answers that are far from satisfactory. First, he excuses his behavior by blame shifting. He says, I did it because I thought there's no fear of God at all in this place. They will kill me because of my wife. You see what, what Abraham is doing here? He's actually, he has the nerve to rebuke Abimelech. He's accusing him and his people of having no fear of, God, of the Lord. But, but think about what we've just heard about the response of, of the people of Gerar to the, the warning from Abimelech that was passed on to them from the, from the Lord. They had, they had demonstrated the fear of the Lord. They had been, been obedient, but Abraham hadn't. Abraham is the one who in this chapter is lacking the fear of the Lord. Abraham had concluded that there was no fear of God in this place, but it is Abraham who hasn't demonstrated the fear of the Lord. He hasn't considered the faithfulness of God to his promises. He hasn't considered that, that God would protect him just as he had again and again and again and again. Abraham presumed that he would be killed, yet his actions could have caused the death of Abimelech. In Psalm 36.3, David describes the one who has no fear of the Lord. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. Well, the words of Abraham's mouth are trouble and deceit, aren't they? And, and he has lied and acted foolishly. Well, next he, he adds to his blame shifting by, by hiding behind a half-truth. Verse 12. He says, besides, she is indeed my, my sister, the, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and, and she became my wife. It's true, Sarah was his half-sister. And, and though such a relationship will be prohibited under the Mosaic law, it, it was expedient at that time and, and sometimes necessary in the early history of man for, for such relationships to take place. But th that is not the point here. Abraham has told a half-truth, and a half-truth equals a lie. His intention was to deceive. You cannot be hide behind a half-truth. If your intent is to deceive in any way, shape, or form, you are lying. God had prevented Abimelech from breaking the seventh commandment, but Abraham had broken the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Exodus 26, sorry, 2016. And now Abraham blame shifts again. And this excuse is the worst of all. He's blaming God. Look at verse 13. This first phrase, and when God caused me to wander from my father's house, he says, God caused me to wander. Now, most English translations don't pick this up, but, but the, the word that's translated wander here has a negative connotation. It means, means to stagger, 
to wander about, to, to go astray. And so Abraham is here implying that it's God's fault. That it's God's fault for making him wander about. But Abraham isn't done here yet. He now implicates Sarah. He continues in verse 13. I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. He's, he's implicating Sarah. He, he's hiding behind his wife's skirt. Yes, she was complicit. Yes, she should not have done it. His persuasion of Sarah, as in chapter 12, verse 17, was based on a faulty premise of spousal loyalty. He says, this is the kindness you must do to me. The, the, the word kindness, translated kindness here, is, is hesed, which also refers to loyalty. Wives, if your husband says to you, be faithful to me by doing X, Y, or Z, and that behavior is sinful, your husband is not being faithful to you because he is attempting to manipulate you to be unfaithful to God. Humbly and gently call him to repentance, and if he refuses, you have no choice but to bring in another witness. If anyone tries to manipulate you by saying, if you love me, you would do this, they are sinfully manipulating you. This is the kind of tactic that, that sinful young men use to, to coerce young women to sexual immorality. Single women, if a man tries that on you, run away as fast as you can. It's clear from the questions that Abimelech asks and the answers that Abraham gives that Abraham was only asking himself, how will this affect me? He not only failed to consider his wife, but he's failed to consider Abimelech and his people, and he's failed to consider the Lord. Again, Abimelech seems more righteous than Abraham. Abimelech could plead innocence and ignorance, but Abraham, however, blame-shifted hid behind half-truths, and implicated his wife. Abraham's response certainly doesn't look like repentance. And so we're, we're left wondering, how can this be resolved? Again, Abraham is not walking in the fulfillment of Genesis 12.3. He's not blessing the nations. But the story isn't over yet. Don't judge the story by the middle. Because finally, in verses 14 to 15, Abraham and Abimelech bless each other. How does Abimelech respond to Abraham's excuses? He blesses him. Verse 14, Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants, and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. In Egypt, Pharaoh had blessed Abraham similarly. Abimelech now in, invites Abraham to, to stay and to take his, his choice of the land. This is very different from what happened in Egypt when Abraham was, was deported. But Abimelech says, here, stay. Take what, live in whatever part of the land you want. And we'll see in the very next chapter that, that Abraham acquires a well from Abimelech, Beersheba. This is the, the first official land title that Abraham holds in Canaan. Abimelech also gives Abraham a thousand pieces of silver. This is a, a, a large sum of money. 
But notice that Abimelech said this specifically to Sarah. That this is a public testimony to her innocence of adultery. Once again, Abraham gains materially even though he had sinned. And once again, Abimelech comes out looking more righteous than Abraham. He blesses the man who had cursed him. And here the offer of gifts and the, the acceptance of them is, is a testimony that, that legally the matter is settled. But most importantly, Abimelech returned Sarah to Abraham, her purity intact, and thus securing the promise. And God has just delivered Lot and his wife in, in Genesis 19. Now he delivers Abraham and his wife, though for, for Lot's wife, the deliverance was short-lived. But for Sarah, it is going to lead to the fulfillment of the promise. Abimelech has blessed Abraham. And now Abraham is going to bless Abimelech. Verses 17 and 18. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife, the female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Abraham prays. Abraham had, had demonstrated a lack of faith in the Lord in this chapter. He lied, he blame-shifted, he, he hid behind half-truths when he was confronted with a sin, but he didn't stay there. He didn't stay there. He didn't remain in unbelief. He prayed. This is, this is the first time in this passage that, that Abraham is being presented in a positive light. For the first time in this passage, we see Abraham exhibiting faith and obedience. Abraham is being exonerated by the grace of God. Abraham prays, and the women in Abimelech's household are enabled to conceive. But it's the Lord who heals Abimelech and heals his wife and all the women of his house. It is the Lord who closed their wombs. It is the Lord who now heals them. The consequence had fit the crime. The consequence also confirms that Sarah could not have gotten pregnant while in Abimelech's house. The, the Lord has placed two walls of protection to keep his promise secure. Not only could, could Abraham not engage in sexual relations, but the woman could not conceive. There would be no question whatsoever that the child would be born to Sarah could not have come from Abimelech, but from Abraham. The heel barrenness in Abimelech's household brings to mind the, the central issue that, that has been, been tracking through the whole narrative, that of of. And through the, from all the way back from the end of chapter 11, the, the barrenness of Sarah. This, this then heightens the tension as we move into the next chapter. And so the question is, will the Lord enable Sarah to conceive? Will, will God deny Abraham the blessing that he has given to others through Abraham's intercession? These are the questions that, that will, will take us into the next chapter. But the, the preservation of Sarah's purity and the preservation of the Lord's promise as well as the blessing on Abimelech and his household again shows us the surpassing grace of God who faithfully fulfills his promise. The Lord preserves his promise in spite of foreign hostility and in spite of familiar sins. 
Abraham's lies have, have once again put the, the fulfillment of the Lord's promise in jeopardy. But once again, the Lord has intervened to preserve his plan. Once again, the, the, Abraham has acted unfaithfully to his wife and unfaithfully to the Lord. But once again, the Lord has proved himself faithful. This would have been a comfort for Israel as they were, as they were about to enter, enter into the promised land. The, the reminder that God's deliverance did not depend on them, but on him. It was also a warning against the sin of adultery and the Lord's promise to punish such great sin. Abraham has been redeemed. Abraham has been declared righteous, but Abraham is still capable of sinning. Now, I don't know about you, but, but that encourages me. It encourages me. Let me explain. I'm obviously not encouraged by the fact that Abraham sinned again in the same way he'd sinned before. But I am encouraged that there is hope for sinners. I am encouraged that there's hope for sinners, even sinners who, who sin against God even after God has called them to himself. I'm encouraged that there's hope for sinners like me. This was the Apostle Paul's hope. He had the same hope in, in Romans 7, 13 to 25. Paul says he, he struggled with the same issue. His struggle is summed up in verse 19. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is, the, is what I keep on doing. But what hope does Paul have? Verses 24 and 25. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The foolish and sinful behavior of God's people may seem to jeopardize God's promise, but God's faithfulness is not hindered by their foolishness and sinfulness. God's promise is not hindered by you and your foolishness and your sinfulness. Where does the sinner's hope lie? Where does your hope lie? I hope your hope does not, re does not rely on a lie. The life of the believer is not characterized by bondage to besetting sins, but by growth in overcoming sin. Yes, Abraham repeated his sin. He's, he's there as, in the Bible as an example for us of faith, but more he's an example of God's faithfulness. Abraham did it again, and so might you. You might commit that same sin again that, that, you, that you struggled with in the past. But God's faithfulness is infinitely greater than your faithlessness. And the life of the believer will bear testimony to the faithfulness of God as he, through the work of his spirit, brings you into conformity to, to his word and transforms you into the image of Christ. And your life will show a trajectory of increasing righteousness. Once again, the, the Lord has proven himself faithful. It appeared that the promise was in jeopardy. But was it ever really in jeopardy? No, because the promise is all of grace. God is going to preserve the purity of his people. 
He's going to preserve your purity. He's going to preserve the purity of your marriage. And, and he will deal with those who do not walk in purity. How has the Lord demonstrated his faithfulness to you? He has shown you his faithfulness by sending his son to die for your sins. That sin that you are thinking about right now, that sin that, that you've maybe even committed this past week, if you are in Christ, that sin is under the blood of Christ. That sin is, is put away from you as far as the east is from the west, just as Abraham's dishonesty was put away from him. God is faithful to save you, not because of your faithfulness, but because of his. Friends, turn again. Look at Jesus. For every time you look at yourself and your sin, take ten looks at Christ and the cross. Let's pray together. Faithful God, we marvel when we consider our faithlessness, when we consider the ways that, that we fail. Lord, when we consider the, the righteous requirement of the law and how, how woefully short we all fall from that. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we know that faith is your gift. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us to turn to you with the eyes of faith. Help us, Lord, to walk in obedience and faithfulness. Lord, grant us repentance. And help us to love and serve you wholeheartedly for your glory in the building of your church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.